And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Friday morning and it is time on this not nice Friday on the East Coast to say, to utter, to whisper the three most anticipated words in niche basketball podcasting. What up, Beck? <laughs> good morning, Zach. Uh, good to see you. When you said, when you went to whisper, which I don't think you've done in this intro before, I was a little worried you were going to go down the road of the uh, Atlanta Hawks social media feed with their uh, OnlyFans promotion. And Didn't I was getting a little. It. Don't want to see it. Don't you... want to have anything to do with it. Sounds you... like a sounds like a swing and a miss. Not quite as bad as the swing and the misses the heat of the uh, heat culture jerseys and uh, <laughs> no, small floor. font floors. Uh, the whisper was actually the, as the, I was whispering, floor, as I was whispering, I was I was realizing that I was channeling my. I don't know if you saw this viral video yesterday. Uh, Stephen A. Smith answering the question of um, which night of the week. This was a question posed to him on his show. Which night of the week is it worst to be horny? And he went into a whole. <laughs> Sunday night. <laughs> I Sunday, Sunday night, you might not be in the mood, but Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday, <laughs> gentlemen, you got to close. You got to close. And I'm talking C-L-O-S-E, not C-L-O-T-H-E-S, if you know what I mean. That's what he said. In, in, a, in, I, a tone, I, in a tone where I was like, I'm sort of riveted and disturbed all at once watching this. Well, how did this happen? It was amazing. <laughs> not quite as amazing. As the, what did you want to interject something before we get to the real? I was just going to say, here? I, I, have, I did not see nor hear that clip, but uh, thanks to the fine folks at Awful Announcing, I had read the transcript of it yesterday, and I was uh, just as fascinated and bewildered, uh, I think, as you were hearing the actual thing. And, and that was it. I, once I read the transcript, I'm like, okay, I got it. I understand the point. Um, I'm moving on with my life. I don't. By the way, not a creative answer by Stephen A. I was hoping for something out of the box, like, let me tell you about Thursdays. And why Thursdays stink. Okay, you know who doesn't stink? The biggest story of the week in the National Basketball Association, maybe. I'm sure we could debate it. The Philadelphia 76ers. Ten years of drama. Ten years of bizarre draft occurrences. Disappearing jump shots. Disappearing stars. Disgruntled stars. Uh, trades made from weird positions of leverage or lack of leverage. All of this. People who forgot how to shoot. Joel Embiid went to Cutter for a while to get to get treatment on his feet. Remember that one? I think it was Cutter. Maybe it was Kuwait. I can't remember. And now, out of all of this, James Harden is with the Clippers. They are 0-2 with James Harden. Their play has been, I would say, embarrassing and amateurish in those two games. We will get to that later. And the Sixers, six and one, number one in the East, just thumped the, I didn't thump the Celtics. Got a little too close for comfort down the stretch after some gaffes by the Sixers. Beat the Celtics at home. They are fourth in offense, fourth in defense, effectively tied with Boston for the number one net rating in the entire National Basketball Association. And Tyrese Maxey, is staking his claim as a flat-out all-star, a potential, legit, true blue, I-can-be-the-second-best-dude-on-a-championship team. You thought maybe we traded away that guy? No, I am that guy. We don't even need the other guy. We're good. 25 points, 7 assists. He never turns the ball over. Chemistry with Joel on the pick-and-roll is getting better every game. In come Robert Covington, old process favorite. Nick Batum, and together with Kelly Oubre and DeAnthony Melton and Tobias Harris, suddenly, between Maxi 
And Embiid, the Sixers are switchable with 3 and D shooters everywhere. We know, Mr. Beck, that they're not satisfied. That Daryl Morey got these two first-round picks and, uh, and, and got these draft assets, got these players with an eye on making a trade. And I think... If this keeps up, and I'm not saying they're going to go 6-1 every seven games, but if they're like a little closer to true title contention than I think even they thought as they were trying to extricate themselves from the Harden mess, if that proves true, I think it really widens the possibilities of what they can do on the trade market all the way like down to nothing on one end of the continuum. Like, Let's just save all this stuff, save all our cap space, and all the way to on the other continuum, oh, someone... Really, really good, as good as Maxi, a, a number two guy becomes available. Let's try to get in, into that bidding and everything in between. This team is is one we have both followed from close and from afar, East Coasters, both of us, for a long time now. We are veterans of the process. We remember Sam Hinkie and the resignation letter fondly. Our shirt collars are of normal size, I think, and uh, <laughs> and our X accounts are have our names on them. Mr. Beck... What have been your takeaways watching uh, the the Sixers? I think outperform expectations early. <laughs> you just reminded me too of uh, when Game of Zones did Brian Colangelo's collars, and they were like I don't know fifty feet high. Uh, God, I miss Game of Zones. Uh, I do not miss those collars. I do not think I either of us could pull off that collar. Um, the big picture version of this, I think it puts the proper context around how. Uh, patient slash stubborn Daryl Morey and the Sixers were about the Harden deal because the more they saw of Maxi, and maybe even they knew even before the season started to unfold, the more confident you could be that, you know what, if, if James Harden's not playing, we're fine and we can wait as long as we need to. And we can hold out for whatever package we're going to get. Now, they still didn't get exactly what they wanted out of it, obviously, but you know, there's so many different ways to evaluate a trade. There's this, the very basics of, did you get the right value for the things that you sent out compared to what you got back? But then there's also just the context of your team. And the context of this team is, if, if the whole concern is that you're trading away a star or superstar, or whatever James Harden is at this late stage of his career, and you need to get a star back, if you already have another star in waiting... It changes everything, which is, as, as you just so uh, well illustrated with, with your description of where they are right now. It was interesting yesterday. I won't go into the same whole uh, rambling uh, soliloquy because I was already accused on Twitter this morning of soliloquies, which is fine because I like the word soliloquy. But uh, I was on Bill Simmons's pod last night. We were talking about this. There's a really fascinating discussion kicked off by Kyle Newbeck, who does a great job covering the Sixers, of just the idea that in this this team, and then as other people piled on or, or, or added to the conversation in this era, we're not in a super team era. And if you've got your two stars, if Maxi and Embiid are your, your two tent poles, do you really need to go all out to go find the third star? Or in an era where we're not, you know, you're not trying to knock out super teams anymore. The Suns and Clippers are attempting to various degrees a super team. But yeah, as uh, so Kyle Newbeck's point was, why don't they just use those assets to go get some other good high-level role players? You know, maybe this isn't the all or nothing. And it's interesting, too, because we're talking about Daryl Morey. 
Daryl chases stars, has always chased stars from the very beginnings of, of his time in Houston. And, and at the and, expense of chemistry and culture and just just get me the stars and like all that other stuff, vibes and cohesion, that's all BS. Just get me the stars and we'll figure it out. And, and it, is, it is his partial defense, like, I don't know, plenty of like, because he's always viewed as doing this because he's somehow a computer and not a person. I've seen plenty of like uh, human beings slash basketball people, hashtag basketball people who came up as players and GMs and coaches and whatever do the same thing, right? If you're a GM, you chase stars because stars win top 10, top 20 type talent wins. So it's not unique to Daryl, but I do, I'd be fascinated to see the, 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 the algorithm inside his brain working on this scenario now, because I wonder how much he's considering this. Is is he really still thinking I've got to get one more knock it out of the park top fifteen top twenty minimum type player, or is he actually recalibrating himself, thinking considering the context of the league where it is right now, um, and considering the heights that that Maxie's already achieving and could get to? Yeah, maybe they don't need to go all out, and maybe they don't need to be impatient about it either. And maybe all of us who are saying it's a two team race in the East. Uh, I think we're already kind of expanding that, right? It's it's a, it, it's minimum three team race now, unless unless it's still a two team race and we've written off Milwaukee, which which feels a little premature. No, I'm not going to write off Milwaukee um, until we see more of Dame, Giannis, and Middleton. And boy, oh boy, the Bucks broadcast last night just just celebrating. Oh, Chris Middleton's back in the game. He's going to get to 20 minutes. The minutes restrictions getting a little higher. Very efficient until I see more of those three. I think the Bucks will be fine. We're going to talk about the Bucks a little later. I, it's just been from game one, which is ironically Philly's only loss of the season. The next day, breaking down Dame's debut for Milwaukee, I said, I know they won. I know Dame scored 39, made some daggers and stuff. Didn't look awesome to me. Like, supporting cast didn't look awesome to me. But back to Philly. I mean, hovering over all of this is the $50 million or whatever of cap space that they're set up to have this coming summer because they did not extend Tyrese Maxey along with the other star players in his rookie class. He has had to sort of eat the Kawhi Leonard sandwich of like, hey, man, wait, we're going to get cap space. Um, And, you know, to his credit, he's put on a good face. I'm sure he'd love to have the money. He understands it. He gets it. And he knows the deal. Think about it if you're the Sixers. I think think this team is already good enough that – you do not have to reach in terms of assets, in terms of contract coming back to you, if it's even a little bit troublesome or unpalatable. In terms of just player, um, like if it's a player that's like pretty good, but maybe a B-minus fit on your team, maybe it's a guard, a shooting guard um, who struggles on defense. And with him and Maxi together, like that's going to be a little bit of Like you don't have to reach for that player. You can say, you know what, we're going we're gonna, to, no, we're not going to do that. Um and, and and you can also do like then you have the whole thing of um well should we how many should we really go all we really love that player over there let's just make up let's just let's just for the sake of argument just say OG Ananobi because that that's the guy the first guy that came to mind when they traded Harden was OG Ananobi and the Raptors by the way playing pretty well Scotty Barnes holy smokes let's just say that the Raptors slump and two months from now. They're like, yeah, give us everything for OGN and Obi. Then you have the decision of like, well, what if we can just get him in the off in the off season for like nothing? And in the meantime, because we can just sign him. And in the meantime, we can trade like little asset, 
for exactly the kind of role player, I guess Kyle Newbeck, I haven't read his piece yet, is talking about. Why can't we just take hit a single now, try to hit the home run in free agency without trading anything for, for it? And that is one of those things, Howard, that sounds great. Sounds great. Oh, we can get him for, for quote, free. It has come back to bite a lot of teams in more glamorous markets than Philadelphia in the past. I think this is now set up to be one of the most interesting subplots in the entire NBA. The Sixers, maybe in the inner circle of contenders, maybe unexpectedly even to them, with a very complicated trade dilemma that begins now, accelerates in February, and touches on July. I don't know what the answer is. It's going to depend on the player, the team, and everything, but... All I know is this, like they don't have to, they, they should not feel any pressure to go headlong into anything that doesn't feel like a really snug fit for them, whether it's a big one or a small one. And yet, I, I, I should note, because we all played a part in this, I, I touched on it at least a couple of times too. We spent the whole summer, not the whole summer, we spent part of the summer going, ooh boy, clock's ticking with Joel Embiid, you know, this this Harden thing's hanging over them and he wants out, Ben Simmons forces, like how... So it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. And Embiid sort of lightly fit into it with whatever offhand remark he made on a podcast or a, a stage somewhere. A panel. I can't even remember. It's a panel. A panel. Um, and, but that was really it. Like, we haven't exactly heard a lot of Joel Embiid, you know, passive-aggressively, aggressive-aggressively, anything um, throughout that saga. And it's resolved pretty well. And I think to, to whatever extent, to whatever percentage chance there was of, well, you got to keep an eye on that. I think at the moment we could safely say that that's just put to bed. Nothing is ever safe in this league. You never know. But I don't see there's no real reason to think that they should be worried about that right now, which removes that other piece, which is the. And I know, look, he's getting he's starting to get up there in years, but the. You can't afford to waste another year of Joel Embiid's career, so you have to do X, Y, Z right now. I don't think that pressure is there right now because of how well they've started. And if this continues, and there's no reason to think that 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 they can't uh, sustain this level, I think they can be patient about it. The other thing about trades, of course, the OG and Anobi scenarios and anything else, you know, um, above or below that, this is never completely in in the control of the team that we're talking about, right? Like you, the guys have to actually be available and every, especially in the case of Ananobi, there's only been like 72 different versions of uh, him going to team X possibly for 47 draft picks and what, and none of these have ever happened because the Raptors really haven't been all that inclined to trade him. And so we can obsess about all of these things and speculate on who they could go get. But a lot of this is just, the course of the season when are teams willing to pivot pull the plug on what they're doing or whatever to to make that player available you know who should be available unless a remarkable turnaround of which there is no evidence that it's coming occurs is everybody on the bulls just the the whole kit and caboodle um i i looked this up today demar derozan zach levine and Nikola Vucevic, three alphas, 2.0, three betas, 1.0, <laughs> has have played 193 minutes together this season. 193 minutes. So what's that like? Um, four games ish. Combined, if you go like 48 times, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
What do you think the team's plus minus is in those 193 minutes, Howard Beck? If you had to guess. Total? Total or are we doing per 100? Total? That's total? A, that's a total. 193 minutes. Four cumulative games of NBA action with the three betas on the floor. What do you think Chicago's plus minus is? Total. Um, I'm going to say like minus 45. Ooh, so optimistic, Howard. Such a sunny outlook on life. Minus 81. Oh, my God. Now, Ugh. yeah, some luck is playing under that. The Bulls can't make a jump shot. They don't take any threes. All they take is long twos. And opponents are shooting 40% from three. Really, it's going to turn around for the Bulls. This is, they're, these guys have never been good together for one second. Their plus minus coming into the season was about a big flat zero. And zero's not bad. It's just bad if it's all your best players together at the same time, no matter what your team, even like the Wizards should have a plus minus better than that with their three best players on the floor together. My point is the Bulls are not good, but then you look at like, I'm just, just as an example, Zach Levine has a gazillion dollars owed to him over the next four seasons Um, is a minus on defense. That's just not one I'm going headlong into. I'm not compromising my cap space or my trade cabinet of assets uh, for that DeRozan on an expiring contract kind of interesting weird fit again a minus on defense although he's gotten a little better as he's moved down the positional spectrum and whatever but like takes a ton of long twos not really sure that that's the one that works either if I'm Philadelphia um what do you think when you watch the Sixers maybe it's more useful to talk not about players but about skill sets for this particular team if you're looking at this team, this Philly team, you're like, hey man, we're really good. Like we we got a we got a shot. Not only that, like a couple of these players we just got are not throw-ins. Like Nick Batum and, and Robert Covington are helping us. They're like closing some games for us. Um what what do we actually need to really fortify ourselves for like, all right, we're gonna try to win three playoff series in the East with this team? What skill set do you when you watch them, what skill set do you think, okay, there's a little bit of a void there? Um, real, real quick, because you, you mentioned the bulls. I just wanted to just throw this in there because, uh, uh, on the ringer before the season started, we were all asked for like one trade you'd like to see. And I basically said, DeMar DeRozan anywhere, just somebody just rescue him from this malaise. Why is it rescuing him as, as if, as if the bulls are doing him some (laughs) sort of disservice? (laughs) I don't know. I guess it's because one DeMar DeRozan is a great upstanding guy, really good player, was part of some really fun Raptors teams that hit their ceiling, maybe even went beyond their ceiling, and that he was sacrificed for them to go get Kawhi Leonard, and they went and won a championship without him. And then he's just kind of like, you know, Demar Derozan will be fine. But of of all those guys, like I, I hate the the built in, um, obsolescence, obsol obsoleteness. I don't know the built in obsolescence. There's the word of the Bulls. They were just obsolete from the moment they did this. The moment they put together the three betas, as you've dubbed them, you knew they were never going to really be anything other than like a, a low playoff team that loses in the first round. They there was never any upside. Have, I hate this. They, I, I they hate do, that formula. They do. Look, if there's no extension coming for DeMar DeRozan, it's borderline irresponsible team management to not trade him for whatever you can get. And because it's not as if they're holding on to him for the sake of a team that is actually looks to be going somewhere this season. If there's no extension coming and we're about to hit yeah. Thanksgiving, like 
it's I'm not saying it, had, but anyway, back to the Sixers, Sixers, Sixers. I have an answer yeah, to my sorry. own question, yeah. but do you have an answer um, to my question? Every great team needs more playmaking. Um, whether that's a, a playmaking guard, a playmaking wing, probably a playmaking big wing. Good luck finding one. Um, you, you want secondary playmakers, and you know you want guys who can run things when Maxi's off the court. Um, I don't have anybody off the top of my head. And like, you know, I think, you know, look, Tobias Harris, you could run offense for Tobias Harris sometimes. And is, I think he's a decent player. He's been, he's been, he's been great, man. Flying down the open floor in transition has really made himself a credible to good defender at almost every, every position, but center, like in, which you didn't see coming two or three years ago. Credit to Tobias Harris. He has bought in to whatever the Sixers have needed him to be, particularly defensively. And and after repeated uh, having to, to have the um, like the trade rumors are always hanging over him. Now he's got you know, hey, you're the expiring hanging over him. Whether that's be, because he's going to be uh, used as the anchor of a, of a trade because of his salary, or whether he's just coming off the book, like it's he's just rolled with it all. Uh, been been great. Um, but yeah, another another playmaker of, of of some shape and size seems like to play here, and I don't think it's an urgent thing. But, you know, um, I, I, you know, I, I think of the, again, uh, unfair comparisons and standard, but like I think of, of the role that Andre Godala played for the Warriors early on in their run, um, especially off the bench. Like, it, it, can you find, I don't know, is there, is there an Iguodala type out there, you know, bigger wing who could defend a little uh, pass, make plays, run the offense when Maxie's off the floor? I don't know. I don't know if that person is, is there. Batum is not that guy, but he is a, a nice connector yes. type extra passer that I think will really help them in that regard if they if they keep him. Uh I you nailed it. I think I think um as unbelievable as Maxi has been, they need another guy who can really dribble and make plays at a level that's higher than DeAnthony Melton and Tobias Harris. And like you're not gonna find the perfect guy, the perfect player. Like, yeah, yeah, of course we want can I get a three and D wing with some playmaking job? Sure. They make all make $50 million a year. Basically like it's hard to do, yep. but teams and particularly Boston who I don't think in that game what was that Wednesday night. I don't think they hunted Maxi on defense as mercilessly as the, mercilessly as they would in the playoffs, but they are going to throw tons of size at him. They're going to blitz him. They're going to mix up coverages to take away the pocket pass to Embiid stuff that did against Harden too. Like the great teams are going to throw a lot of different looks at him and force him to give the ball up to somebody other than Joel, and that guy's going to have to do something. So I'm interested. That, that's the number one need to me, but this is a really good roster. And by the way, you mentioned Ter- Terrence Mann, and they didn't get everything they wanted. Look, it's possible they're Mark Deeks, uh, Cap Guru 1.0, one of the best of the best in this business ever, wrote a piece for Forbes, I think, about how there are no winners in the James Harden trade. James Harden's not going to be a winner. The Clippers are not going to be a winner. The Sixers are not going to be a winner. And he clarified it. Uh, later, maybe even in the piece saying, look, I get why people want to argue that the Sixers are a quote unquote winner of this trade because they salvaged a completely toxic situation and got out of it. But in, in Mark's telling, they also created, however you want to spin it, some of the toxicity in the situation. And yes, they did this Houdini act to get out of it. Are they winners? I, I would argue, and again, they didn't get man. They didn't get the 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 two Clippers first round picks that they really, really wanted the unprotected 28 and 30. Um, I would argue that, look, it's too early to say anything, but I think it's, it's, it's going to be pretty clear soon that what the Sixers have done here 
is better than either losing Harden for nothing or re-signing Harden to like a three-year, $150 million contract. Now, if it's a two-year contract or a one plus one, maybe that becomes a different story. That doesn't seem to have been palatable for James Harden, thus the whole thing that happened. I think they've come out of this in a middle road with optionality and some hope that if it's not the quote-unquote A-plus, they won the trade, it's a decent outcome for them. Um and and yeah, no man, no picks, whatever. But it, I think it's it's clearly a better path than either of those other paths, given Harden's aging curve. Let's say that. Yeah, and listen, um, we don't know exactly what was allegedly promised slash allegedly reneged in terms of of the Sixers and contract offers to Harden, um, and and where this whole thing went south. It's almost on some level immaterial from just a practical standpoint, they, they, they are where they are and they had to make the best of it. If your options were the things you just mentioned, extend Harden, give him what he wants um, to, to head off this whole, like if you could go back in time, if you could go back in time, are the Sixers playing this any differently than they did? I mean, maybe on a, on a diplomacy level, there were better well, you're, ways you're, to you're communicate. Getting, you're getting, you're, you're getting sinister. You're getting sinister. Like they, if they had that, this was the plan. <laughs> I'm not. No, that's not what I'm saying. Alienate Harden, risk international scandal and embarrassment, but they got what they wanted in the end. You know why? You know why, Howard? Because no one is more comfortable being uncomfortable than Daryl Morey. Even on planes, he likes when people recline their seats and scrunch up his knees. This is one of he those sleeps. Mean- he sleeps sitting up in a hardback wooden chair. This could be one of those movie trailers in a world where people don't like being uncomfortable. One man dares to be incredibly uncomfortable. Um, anyway, I, I'm they, so, I, yeah. no, but they, the cold, the cold, you started it. The cold pragmatism of this is this, what, whatever, whatever the Sixers and Daryl Morey could or could not have anticipated about the way this went. The cold pragmatic calculation is we cannot commit to this guy at a max deal or anywhere near it for any more length of time than we already have. It's not in our best interest as an organization. Now, could it have been handled better? Whatever. I, we don't need to go down that road. They, they made the right decision to not keep extending with him, to not bank their future on him. And the trade, the trade was good enough. The trade was good enough. And it, and, I mean, and I we'll, do we'll think, see, well, yeah. it's been, it's been like a week. Or something, a week and a half. Yeah. I will tell you in the next week and a half, the team in the East that I will be watching, I think most closely, is Boston. Um, And look, I'm watching every team closely. We're going to talk about some random East teams in in a minute. Um, But I don't think the Sixers are as good as Boston. Like, I, I don't think as presently constructed they could beat a healthy Boston Celtics team in a playoff series. I don't think they could compete with whoever comes out of the, not compete, but beat whoever comes out of the West in a playoff series. We'll see what Milwaukee turns into and what who else emerges from this morass in the East. Even, even the Heat have started winning games despite missing so many guys here and there. And Tyler Hero just got hurt, which is a bummer for them because he really shoulders a ton of offensive creation as Jimmy Butler eases into the season. But regardless... I think Boston is just better than Philly, despite the result on Wednesday. They are 5-2, and two, 
They were my pick to win the championship, the Celtics, this year. I'm still kind of feeling it out. I'm still feeling it out with them. They've had a couple, like Derek White missed a couple games. They've had guys in it. They've changed the starting five right before the season. Um, they they have the best net rating in the NBA. Their wins are Knicks on opening night in a slugfest, a slobber knocker. The Heat without Caleb Martin. The Wizards, the Pacers, they hung 155 on the Pacers. No Halliburton that game. And the Nets. They don't really have a great win yet. They may not even, they don't really, I guess at Knicks is the only good win they have on the schedule. And again, I'm not expressing any skepticism about Boston. They are my pick to win the championship. Their starting five has a net rating that is hilarious. They are plus 74 in 87 minutes together. That is anti-Bulls three betas. Plus 74 in 87 minutes together. Any construction involving Jason Tatum and Porzingis is the only big, Jason Tatum and Horford is the only big, is plus a gazillion. Horford and Porzingis together has been kind of a net zero. That's something interesting to monitor. I just, I, I'm still kind of feeling out, I, I guess I'm still feeling out the team. Um, how do all the pieces fit? How are all the roles distributed? Why can't they score when Tatum is on the bench? And kind of what's up with Jalen Brown? Not a great start to the season for Jalen Brown. 21 points a game, 44% shooting. Some really kind of like, what is he doing? Shot selection down the stretch of some of these games. And just just kind of just kind of feeling it out. I mean, I, I think their, their top six is unbelievable. Their starting five is unbelievable. They have an incredibly high ceiling on both ends of the floor with like infinite spacing on offense. They do seem kind of more determined to get to the rim and the foul line this year than in previous iterations of the team. But the playmaking is is still kind of B minus good, kind of iffy, kind of stagnant at times. And I just I just kind of want to see them more against better competition, just out of pure curiosity. They've been amazing. They haven't blown me away yet when I've seen them start to finish in some of these games. They haven't blown me away, but that's fine. It's early. Any Boston yeah, I also thoughts? Think, no, just just on that last note about blowing people away. Um, I don't know. Have they, the Celtics have been really good for, for 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 many many years now. Have they ever felt like a team that just kind of blows you away, or just a team that that clamps down at the right times? And I just think to the extent that their profile is almost more of a defensive. Pro- I know they've got like three guys averaging over twenty points a game, so I shouldn't I shouldn't go too far with this this thought, but like. We think of them as being potentially dominant across that that starting five and even six because I think of the presence of Derek White and Drew Holiday to an extent, Porzingis as a shot blocker, Tatum and Brown all, already being uh, plus defenders at their best anyway. And I do think that when it comes to uh, employing the, the like the full force of of a, of a lineup like that. That's that's a playoff thing, right? I don't know that you're you're doing the full, you know, forty eight minute suffocate the other uh, suffocate the opponent thing in the regular season that often. Um, you you can win a lot of games with defense, especially in this league where uh, I think teams don't always uh, go all out in the, in the regular season. Maybe they should come up with a gimmick of some kind that makes teams play harder early in the season. Um, so I, I just I just think that's that tonight. <laughs> Wait, the in season tournament resumes tonight, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Are you excited to? I have to say, I like the courts in concept. I do. Some of them are beautiful, like the Suns one that I think they're they're playing on tonight 
is absolutely a work of art. I watched Heat Wizards last last Friday night for the first night of the NCAA. I think it was Heat Wizards. God only knows why. Um, the Heat's court is red. It's bright red. It took me half the game. It it literally like and aesthetically, I'm, I like red. My dad has always had red cars. Fire trucks are red. Red's fun. Like red. <laughs> it took me half a game to just not be thinking at all times about how the court is red and it was distracting me. It took me half the game. And then like after this in the second half, I was like, oh, now I can focus on, oh, Jordan Poole missed again. Okay. Like I can focus on basketball now. I just, it's, I'm not sure that it is as good a spectator experience as it is an artistic experiment. It's funny because um, I've been I've, I've I came up with a, a um, description for myself finally because I was accused of, of of being mean and hating the 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 tournament and I don't I don't hate it I'm I'm a skeptical agnostic or agnostic I like it I'm not skeptical I like it I'm, you could take your fine. hate out of this podcast Howard it's Beck. fine I'm not hating it's fine I I don't care one way or the other I don't care who wins this this mythical cup um, I do I'm I actually do. but I. I I want I've, teams I've, to go. I want like I want the freaking like they showed the standings in one of the games I was watching last night. I think it was the Bucks game. They showed the standings like standings and the standings were like one and oh, <laughs> oh and oh, oh and oh, oh and oh, oh and it, one. I was like, I'm already excited. There's been one game in this group. Uh, uh okay. Um, I, to, as, as skeptical as I've been, the one thing I, I feel like I went the other direction on the courts, like, yes, the red ones are like searing your retinas, but overall, like, I thought it was kind of fun to see all these, these cool, really bright, very different courts And I was watching. I watched, um, Warriors Thunder and the Thunder had that nice, very, uh, pleasant, placid, relaxing blue court that worked. I think the answer here is a very simple one, which is. Whatever the dominant color is on all of these courts that are causing people to have seizures on their couches, just take that color, make it the the runway strip down the middle that they're using on all these courts, and have that be the thing that tells you this is a tournament game as opposed to a regular one, and then the rest of the court can just be normal. So that red won't be quite as overwhelming and searing of your retinas if it's just the strip down the middle as opposed to it being essentially the entire court. That's my easy solution, I think. On Boston, I just again. I want to be clear. They're green, that, right? I believe they're green. I think I don't. I don't know. They're they are green in general. Um, uh, Porzingis has been awesome, like defensively awesome, jacking threes, rolling to the rim when he should roll to the rim, and like again, a key ingredient in them. Like rim equals good for Boston. Um, it defensively, they're they're actually kind of like Joe Mazzula does some funky stuff with matchups like he really likes to manipulate the game in interesting ways with matchups like he'll just put Luke Cornett on like an actual good ball handling wing just to see what the other team does you saw he put Drew Holiday as the primary guy on both Carl Towns and then Joel Embiid against Philly when Horford was out of the game he likes to disrupt the rhythm of offenses by messing around with the matchups in a way that kind of force you to scrap the play you were going to run because, oh, they're just going to switch and that guy's going to be there. We don't want that. Sometimes I do think the Celtics get a little too cute with it and it comes back to haunt them, but um, their defense is really good. Thing to watch with Boston, they're one of a few teams like this. They've allowed the third most threes in the NBA, but the sixth fewest corner threes. And when you see a split like that, 
That's on purpose. That's not an accident. They have committed to being like, we'll give you some semi-contested above the arc, above the break, rather, threes. Corner three, we're shutting it down. I think they're rock solid. I just it, I just want to see. I want to see. I'm curious. They are number one on my next week curiosity ratings. Can we talk about the Clippers for a second? Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's do it. This is like, we're already at gut check time for the Clippers because these first two games have been like embarrassing how bad they've been offensively I like I they don't even seem to know what they should be doing like guys are being like no you got to go here okay now okay now there's 12 on the shot clock can we start can we start to play now you got to go over there you're standing next to that guy you can't stand next to that guy that's that's not good um Kawhi and PG are just like in the corners like hey remember like there was an earthquake when we came here and now we're over here. Like, can we, can we, it's like, it's just, and they don't like there. I'm just going to highlight a couple possessions from the second half of the Nets game, which by the way, Harden opened the fourth quarter with two of the most embarrassing, lazy turnovers you will ever see. And they don't include the one where he passed the ball to Ian Eagle on, on the sideline, like literally passed Ian Eagle the ball. Um, nine minutes <laughs> that, left that in the third incredible. quarter. Paul George has Spencer Dinwiddie on him. That's a good matchup. Dribbles around for a while. Hey, PJ Tucker, you're playing center. Come set a screen for me. Doesn't matter that the Nets are going to switch a better defender, Dorian Finney-Smith, onto me. Oh, okay. That's not good. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie loads off of James Harden in the left corner. Paul George's like, I'll pass to you. That's good. Wide open catch and shoot three. Does he take it? No. Pump fake, sidestep dribble, off the dribble three, Mikhail Bridges blocks it. It's like, dude, you've got to shoot. 7.30 7.30 in the third quarter. Paul George dribbles, doing nothing, until there's 13 on the shot clock. Literally nothing happens. Calls for another screen from P.J. Tucker. Why? To get Mikhail Bridges, the best defender on the entire Brooklyn Nets team, switched on to him, and then just shoots a three. Number of passes on the possession, zero. Number of people who moved on the possession, two out of five. I understand it's going to be a learning curve. We all knew it was going to be a learning curve. They've got these four dudes that are all used to having the ball a lot, except for Paul George, who's very malleable. I still think they're going to have to experiment at some point with Russ coming off the bench and Terrence Mann starting. I'd like to see it, at least to see what it looks like, if Russ is amenable to it. I still think they're going to need to explore another trade for maybe a a slight upgrade to a, a bigger upgrade over Zubats, who's fine but has not looked comfortable in this new construction. Again, it's only been two games. We all knew this was going to happen. Their rebounding has been atrocious. Some of that is on them. Lazy box outs, uncommitted to it. And and two games in, you don't want to overreact, even though they've been abysmally bad, losing two games on the road. I just like, I think the gut check time has to start now. Because everyone talked a big game, like we're all ready to sacrifice. James is all in to win a title. And nobody cares about anything other than bringing the first title to the Clippers. Everyone's willing to do things outside of their comfort zone. No one has done anything outside of their comfort zone for two games. Other than maybe Russ, who's setting more ball screens than ever in his career. Like, it, I understand learning. Like, I, I, we all knew that the risks of this trade were there, that... It could backfire that everybody was going to have to adjust and it was going to take time. I just didn't expect the first two games for them to look this just sort of unaware of what everybody should be doing at any time in the game other than isolated possession here or there. These games have been really, really bad. And I want them to start now tonight playing the Mavericks, I believe, in a fun Western Conference game 
like you guys kind of all start showing me that this was not just talk that this not like this was like everyone's willing to row in the same direction do this and get out of our like you it's like these first two games have been so disturbing that I, I want to see it like now I'm already getting impatient. It reminds me of, uh, you know, Phil Jackson used to have this thing back with, with the Lakers where they would be winning too much and he actually enjoyed when they lost because he'd get their attention and could actually then fix things. Um, I wonder if it's actually in some ways better for them to just completely, you know, uh, crap the bed these first couple of games. Maybe Tyloo gets their attention and can actually uh, get them to make the adjustments and the sacrifices that are necessary. I don't, I'd feel a lot better about the Harden acquisition for them if Russ weren't already there. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just one guy, one uh, uh, massive star with uh, ball dominance baked into their entire essence. Too many. It's just one too many. I do think it's not only inevitable, but I think part of the plan. I, I, I'm just, this is semi-guess, semi-not. I think Russ is going Ooh. to the bench sooner than later. I, I, think that's, I think that's inevitable. And I think... Um, They'll be better off that way. I've also heard some skepticism from from folks around the league who said, "Sure, yeah, that's the logical thing to do. It's 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 the the, the smart thing to do basketball wise um, to not have two non shooters in the starting lineup, and then you you kind of clarify things in terms of who's got the ball, the playmaking, and all that." Russ runs the second unit, uh, but oh, how did that go for the Lakers? And so I've I've also heard some skepticism about how long Russ even lasts there. Now I'm getting way ahead of of, of things. That's that's way too soon to talk about. But I, I, I'm not, I would feel more comfortable with just the basics of this as a basketball matter if you had the simplicity of knowing you have these two great wing scorers who can do a lot of different things with the ball in their hands, playmaking, scoring, creation, and this one ball-dominant guard in Harden who, if you could just get him to be, there was whatever, whatever it was, that first couple weeks when Harden first got to Brooklyn, where it looked like he was, like he was just going to be an assist machine, he was setting up Kyrie, he was setting up Kevin Durant, I've heard he was like as as much as I have praised that time in his in his career. I've heard that yeah he wasn't exactly happy about it. Okay, but he can do it. He can do it. He has those moments. Um, I think they need more of that. I think the, the 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 most alarming thing in this entire stretch is not even the losses. It's the opening press conference where he says, "I'm not a system player. I am the system." Like you're 34, you can't. That, that was that was fine once upon a time. This is not the time to... St- now, maybe that's just his ego talking. Maybe it's just him pushing back against whatever he, he feels like the, the, the criticism out there is. This is not the time to be tunnel vision James Harden who dominates the ball and, and has a usage rate over 35. This, is, this isn't the time in your career, and this is not the team for that. And so that, that, to me, is as alarming as anything we've seen so far on the court. I brought up the Brooklyn comparison earlier this week with Om Young Masuk because it's mm. something I've heard from within the Clippers too, and it's something I, I, I told the story on that podcast. I was laying in bed the night after the trade, and the Brooklyn Lightning bolt struck me. Like, why am I so much less excited about this than I was about Brooklyn? And then, like, when you hear other people talk about it, you're like, well, okay, but that was like 2000. Two, two, that was two years ago. That's two plus years ago. Two James Harden playoff meltdowns ago. Two James Harden quit on his team, trade demands, a go. Um, Time has passed. Everyone's older. And again, like Durant especially, and even Kyrie to his credit, they're just faster, um, faster both with the ball, with their decision-making, and much more willing to take catch-and-shoot jump shots than either Kawhi Leonard 
or Paul George. Paul George less so. Paul George will take enough catch and shoot threes. And they had no one on the team like Russ, who just has been unbelievable for the Clippers, but is now in a very strange fourth option role, even though he's a non-shooter, playing with a center who's also a non-shooter. They just, it's just apples to plums, not even oranges, like some apples to like star fruit or something, like a fruit that doesn't even look or taste apples like Apples to an asparagus. Apple. Let's just go off the chart. Um, I Look, again, Ty Lue forgot more about basketball five minute, in the last five minutes than I will know in my entire life. He has said repeatedly, I want 10 games. Give me 10 games, 10, 15, whatever the number is. James Harden didn't really have a total proper training camp, although everyone with the Sixers talked about how in shape and well-conditioned he looked. He didn't have any training camp with the Clippers, obviously. Um, it's going to take time. I get it. Like, call me. Like, like I get it. Let's give it a month. I'm just saying, like, I want to see a little urgency now because, like, they played these first two games – like they could just kind of roll the ball out and on sheer talent, all these teams would just like, oh my God, these four guys are on sale. We can't win. And they looked horrible and their offense looked horrible and their process looked horrible. And I would like, to, and they all downplay it after every game. Like Paul George is like, I'm not going to overreact. We got too many stars on this team for me to overreact. Can you overreact? Like, I'd like to see you overreact. Can you overreact tonight and come out and try to play a different style against the Mavericks? Anyway. Any other thoughts on the Clippers? Look, I get the trade. I get why they did it. I don't even like mind it. I just, I'm kind of aghast at how how they looked in these first two games. Um, for some time, Tyloo, I've heard had wanted. You know, I don't know what a true point guard is anymore uh, in this league. That that, that I'm not sure if that that archetype really exists in the in the way that we once talked about it. But a, a playmaking point guard um, next to Paul George and. Kawhi Leonard, that that's something he's he's really been um, eager eager for them to to do. We, we've it's long since been forgotten. I think that you know they almost had Malcolm Brogdon until there was a flag on on his physical. And, and if they'd done that, does the Harden trade ever happen? Um, but even in that failed trade, the signal was clearly sent that they didn't necessarily want it to be Russ who was in that primary role. So I think it's been set up for some time that eventually they're moving toward um, moving Westbrook to a six man role that even, even, even the failed Brogdon deal or, or the attempted Brogdon deal kind of indicated that there was a movement afoot to, to kind of get somebody a different kind of player in that position um, to set up the offense. The other thing that they have signaled in that failed trade talk, other failed trade talks all along before the James Harden trade, and in talking to the Sixers and being the only team really talking to the Sixers about James Harden, the other that signaled for the first time in four years, the Clippers had concluded, the brain trust had concluded, we are not good enough, even if in the unlikely event, both of the stars, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, stay healthy. We're no longer good enough. Or we're no longer confident enough that we are good enough to do nothing. Um, Every year until this year, and to their credit, in 2020, I thought they were the best team in the NBA. The pandemic happened. The bubble happened. They were they, the Denver rolled them three straight games in that series. 2021, they may well have won the title had Kawhi stayed healthy. To their credit, and I think they were right, until this season, the internal belief there was, we are good enough if those dudes are healthy. I think now, and they signaled it to you, 
is the first time coming off last season when their net rating with Kawhi and PG on the floor was plus 8.9 per 100 possessions, which is good, but not great. Not the 13, 14, 15 it had been in the past. Not what Denver's net rating with Murray and Jokic is on the floor, et cetera, et cetera. I think it was the first time where they just said, we're not good enough. We got to try something. You know, like whatever, what other choices do we have? Not, not that Harden was their only choice, but like we're not going to bottom out. We're not going to trade Kawhi and PG. Doesn't look like. Um, got to try something. Okay. Clippers. Chuck the Condors waiting on them to come home. And maybe he'll maybe he'll breathe a little, squawk a little life into him with his big oversized sneakers. Kick him in the butt with his big goofy sneakers. Chuck the Condor. Are condors endangered? I think they are, right? Uh, the California condor at one time, at least when I was a kid, I remember it being an endangered species. I don't know if it's come back. Uh, maybe the Clippers single-handedly have rescued the California condor. From so that means I can't I make fun of Chuck the condor because it, it it's it's a, be insensitive. You know, it's the same. I feel like an old mascot, like an analyst now. Like, like, um, did you see this new Halloween pelican? That the pel- the Halloween pelican logo, the skeleton, skeleton they made the pelican even sc- scarier. Uh, no, I mean, it's just it's just the logo like it, is like is hot is bony. It's like a bony Halloween skeleton. Producer Dan says the California condor is a protected species and has been for a long time. Shout out to the California condor, beautiful animal. Um, I'm being serious. That's a real shout out. To the condors listening, yes. um, uh, people have people forget. Big fans of the low post, the condors. NBA Twitter. Now I sound like a real NBA Twitter person. People forget a sentence I actually said <laughs> on the phone with an NBA source yesterday. By the way, condors is a were real a problem. Th- no, this is a real thing that I said yesterday on the phone with the source, who so should be named nameless. People forget Aaron Brooks was a bucket. I actually said that yesterday. That's a real thing that I said <laughs> in a real NBA conversation. People have forgotten. When the the Pelicans unveiled the original Pierre the Pelican, and he was so horrifying yes. and frightening to children horrifying. that they had to change him yes. and concocted an entire video skit where Pierre underwent plastic surgery and woke up and like tore off the bandages to reveal a new, friendlier Pierre the Pelican. That's a real thing that happened. Okay, Howard, I told you pick a random team anywhere in the league. That yeah. you wanted to either give a little love to or express some concern about now that we're two weeks into the season. Who was your random team? Uh, I mean, maybe not that random and it's going to be love. And, and it's it's mostly because I hope it's not too obvious. Um, th- this is about the Warriors, because the Warriors at this time last year um, were off to a, a, a jagged ish start. And they were force-feeding young guys into the rotation because they were on a uh, hashtag two-timeline plan. And they were dealing with Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, uh, Fallout, and all this other stuff. Their recovery, and it's early, but their recovery has been pretty damn impressive. And and it starts with not just, obviously, reformatting the bench, which began last year where they did the Weissman uh, GP2 thing. It's also just that I'm I'm struck by how wrong the reactions were when they flipped pool for Chris Paul. Um, it was what, what you know, all right, Chris re- Paul's too the, old. Which what were the reactions? Did people not like were, that trade? No, that was, was like an obviously good trade for the Warriors. I thought it was an obviously good trade as well, and I I was all in on on the the uh, the thought process behind it or the rationale for it. But there was a well, he's too old. Um, you're you're sacrificing too much scoring 
by losing the younger, fresh-legged Jordan Poole with you know replacing him with a, a, a lower scoring and slower Chris Paul. Um, Chris Paul won't play off the bench. He's not going to be able to. He won't be able to sacrifice. He won't mesh with Steph Curry. He won't mesh with the Warriors style. He won't mesh with Draymond Green because they're both too in- intense and annoying, and they're going to to end up like you know killing each other or something. There there was a there was plenty of that out there. I, I was not in that camp, but um, and I'm not. I don't. I'm not going to say that I'm surprised by any any piece of this, but Chris Paul has been spectacular for them to the extent that a 30 or eight year old point guard, future Hall of Famer can be. Uh, Through nine games, 249 minutes, 66 assists and seven turnovers (laughs) is just incredible. Small sample size, but they are uh, a plus 12 with Chris Paul on the court uh, so far, plus 12 per 100. Um, And they're a plus 10 and a half per 100 when Curry sits, which the Warriors falling off a cliff when Steph Curry sits in recent years has, has been somewhat of an issue. Um, and having I think not, easy- having not checked those the under the hood on that number in a few days, yeah. I do recall that a lot of that is unsustainably stingy defense, and mm. which leads me to believe that it was unsustainably lucky jump shooting to some degree. Like the net rate, they've still been good without Steph Curry, which has like never been a thing. I would I would just in my head squeeze that down from whatever plus thing you just said sure. to like a smaller plus thing. Just the mere fact that they can have a you know future Hall of Fame point guard on the court for forty eight minutes every night um, is is, an, is a wonderful luxury. And Chris Paul um, still making great shots from the mid range, still um, you know still still doing Chris Paul things. And that bench just looks so much better with him now. That bench is also a different bench than they had last season. It's a better version of, of Moody and a better version of Kuminga. They've both, uh, to their credit, um, made the necessary steps as young players, but they also have, you know, Gary Payton, the second from day one now, instead of the, the, you know, the midseason acquisition, uh, acquisition, when he was injured, Dario, by the way, he was, he was injured last year. And he was injured him. when they got him. Um, Dario Saric seems like he's been a fairly seamless fit for them. You compare that to this time last year, the bench was pool lamb, DiVincenzo, who was obviously good for them. Kuminga and Moody, who were still kind of scuffling. Weissman, who just could not get it going. Jamichael Can't Green. play for the Pistons. Ty- Ty Jerome, uh, so they've like credit to the Warriors uh, for recovering. It was in steps. Some of this was midseason last year, but a, a good offseason by Mike Dunleavy Jr. in his first uh, offseason as as GM. Um, yeah, listen, I, I think I think any of us who have no rooting interest but just like watching the Warriors be the Warriors as long as possible because they're fun. It's it's nice to see them kind of looking like themselves again. The only th- bad thing Ty Jerome ever did, Howard Beck, was attend the University of Virginia. Shout out to my buddy Adam and his friends who track all of my slander against UVA, which is not a regular thing. It's once every four, three or four months. I, I wasn't even aware of this trend. It's a long, it's a long story, which we will not. I'm going to whisper. We will not address it in this podcast. Um, we are going to look. I'm going to. I have pumped the brakes on my own Warriors optimism in recent days, and I wrote about them today, and I talked about them with Tim McMahon a couple days ago. Look, they're, they're, I, they were in my second circle of contenders, that, which means I thought they were one of six teams that had the best chance to win the championship this year. So I'm high on them. Yeah. For eight-minute stretches of every game, they look like a fully formed championship contender. Like, oh, my God, 
They're so comfortable in their own skin. They're so comfortable in their identity. They know exactly how to play. Chris Paul is fit in in ways X, Y, and Z. And then for like the six minutes after that, it kind of becomes a slog where you're like, oh, is Kaminga actually just kind of a train wreck? It, it, like he's just kind of running into people. Um, are they? Do they have enough shooting? They still don't have like the skeleton key Draymond at center lineup that they know they can bank on. Like this is the one that has enough shooting and enough size. Maybe they'll find it. Maybe they won't. Wiggins and Clay have been eh, that that'll come. They their best win of the season was over Sacramento in the second game of the year. Since then, even their good wins on paper, Clay hits the game winner against the Kings, no De'Aaron Fox, the controversial finish against the Thunder with the Baskin interference thing, no Shea Gilgis Alexander, who by the way is completely unstoppable. Like that dude is a freaking joke. Just absolute joke. Um their next five games starting on Saturday, home against the Cavs, home against the Wolves, home against the Wolves again, home against the Thunder, home against the Thunder again. That's a bizarre schedule, but those are their next five games. We're going to learn something about the Warriors in those five games. Minnesota, I talked a lot about earlier this week. They're really good. Thunder are legit. Cavs kind of scuffling at three and five, but haven't had their guys very often and are kind of, I think, hungry to start playing with their full team. Howard Beck, fun with small sample sizes, and I just let me have fun. Just let it be fun, okay? Don't poo-poo me. Don't pour cold water on this. I'm all about fun. I'm a fun guy. Top five in net rating in the NBA. Boston, plus 11.5 per 100 possessions. Philly, plus 11.4. Denver, haven't even talked about Denver. Just rolling around. Jamal Murray's hurt. Cool, Jokic will just put up 35, 15, and 12. Who cares? Uh, Plus 10.8, 8 and 1. We'll get to the Nuggets another day. Minnesota, plus 10. Then there's a drop-off to plus 5.9. Who do you think is fifth in the NBA in net rating at plus 5.9 per 100 possessions? Sorry about the P's that I have, I have a, I, um, I, I, I have a guess that's based on where I think you were going anyway, which, which, which makes it just uh, Aha, I obnoxious. have zagged this while is, you have zigged. You're going to guess the Indiana Pacers, which ooh. we will get to. We will get to them. I the was going Houston, to guess the Indiana Pacers. Look at you. The Houston Rockets. Now, have they just blown out the Kings twice in a row without De'Aaron Fox and fattened up their net rating on those games? Yes, they have. Is it going to temper my enthusiasm about Alper and Shengun and Jabari Smith Jr.? <laughs> and even Jalen Green is starting to get into the act. Tari Eason's back just immediately grabbed like 19 offensive rebounds in four minutes as he has magnets in his hands. No, it will not. Will not temper my enthusiasm. Cam Whitmore's not even playing. Garbage time. It's not real. They're not actually a plus 5.9 per 100 possessions team. I'm not even convinced they're a 500 team. But they're... I keep saying that they have this very interesting collection of young talent that everybody was sleeping on because of how disorganized they were last season under Steven Silas. And now, and they were a, a, no veteran talent on the roster last season. Some of that is on Silas. Some of it is not. Now they've got some veterans. Dylan Brooks hasn't missed a shot all season. Fred Van Vliet does what he does. I'm just going to read you a stat that, that again, small sample size theater. theater. Alperin Shengun. With Alperin Shengun on the court, the Rockets are scoring 118.8 points per 100 possessions and allowing 102 for a net rating of plus 16.8. With Alperen Shingun off the court, 102 offensive rating, 114 defensive rating, 
plus 16.8 on, minus 12 off. Early, the numbers will normalize. I'm telling people right now, he's now at the head of the table among their young guys. Alperin Shengun is, is going to be a star. Like, he's going to be a flat-out star on offense. He's already at, like, 18, 9, and 6.5 and assists. Defensively, he's been better this year. I think that defensive rating is kind of fake and inflated by bad jump shooting. He's got some things to prove on that end. So, star, define it how you want, right? Like, is he going to be a top 15 player in the NBA? I pr- probably not. Like, I, the odds are always against that. Like, that's a little... Like, if that's your definition of star, then I'm wrong. Offensively... I think he's going to be a legitimate star, like a legitimate, this guy, you can run a really good NBA offense through him. People need to start watching Alper and Shengun because not the sexiest player on the Rockets, not the highest ceiling player on the Rockets, maybe in terms of just sort of raw explosive skill set, just a really, really good offensive player. That's my Rocket spiel. You and, you and uh, my colleague Michael Pina at the Ringer are going to have to uh, wrestle for president of the Alpern Shangoon fan club. Uh, Pina was singing his praises on, on the Bill Simmons pod, which we both did yesterday, and has a story which he teased um, on Mr. Shangoon coming, I think, next week. So uh, look for that. Um, yeah, I, I also think that just, you know, um, what a difference a point guard makes uh, for the Rockets. Um, Having having Fred Van Vliet out there, even having Dylan, Bro- I mean, we're getting we're getting pretty much good Dylan Brooks for the Rockets so far, right? And and just having some, um, ah, they just needed some. It's it's funny to think of Dylan Brooks as part of the stability that they needed, but he is. And you know, this happens with young teams that have plunged into a rebuild, where if you're if you're lucky, if you if you're lucky slash smart drafted well you get a bunch of really great talent over the course of a few years. But sometimes it's just a mishmash of a bunch of talent and no real, the, the structure isn't there. And you can, you can blame coaching, but some of that is just the players that you have, guys who are coming in with high expectations and high ceilings who need the ball and finding a way to make it all mesh without having brought in veterans yet. Sometimes these things just have to take their course. I'm not saying like the Rockets had to be as bad as they were necessarily, but I am kind of saying that like you just have to kind of see what you have and then decide what are the right pieces to bring in? What, what, who are the right kinds of veterans and are they available to settle this down and give us the structure that we need so that our young guys can uh, channel all of their talent to their bet to its best effect, as opposed to it just being a pickup game, which is what they often look like. And look, you don't you don't get any trophies for collecting good young players when you no. suck for three straight years. Like, there's no trophies for that. That's what you should do. That's why That's, the process yeah. was kind of an infallible thing for the Sixers. Like, eventually, you're going to get some good players. Shen Goon, who they traded two first-round picks to get from the Thunder, I think was the 16th pick in the draft. That's a big swing, and that's a home yeah. run. But I'm all in on Jabari Smith Jr. Love Jabari Smith Jr. to... I, Something interesting is cooking there. I don't know where it will lead or what the stew will taste like when it's done, but something interesting is happening. Let's wrap with the Pacers. Six and three. Number one offense in the NBA by a lot. Number 26 defense. Okay, sure. It's about right. Tyrese Halliburton, just a ridiculous start to the season. Beat Milwaukee last night. No Damian Lillard, but Giannis did have 54 points and shot 16 of 18 from the line, and the Bucks were ahead. Uh, late in that game before the Pacers came back and got it. Um, look, I, I thought the Pacers would be at worst a play-in team this year. I like their starting five. Matherin, Matherin's last two games, and I think last night was the best game I've ever seen Benedict Matherin play 
on both ends of the floor, including a big steal late in the game. Started to make his jump shot. Their starting five fits like a glove, even though Obi Toppin hasn't caught a rhythm yet and his minutes are kind of down. Um, it's a fun team to watch, man. I We haven't seen Jairus Walker yet at all or Ben Shepard yet at all. And Jairus Walker is like, as a top 10 pick, is a, is a big part of their future because I still think they have to look around. Someone among their young guys is going to have to pop alongside Halliburton for this to be a really long-term kind of contenderish kind of thing. But this is a good team. Like, they're just a good team. And I keep saying this. We've all done it. We've all put Miles Turner in the trade machine 150 times over the last few years. I just kind of hope they keep Miles Turner. He's a pretty good basketball player. Fits well with this group by spacing the floor and playing defense. Though Giannis just cooked him last night over and over again. Just not a, I mean, newsflash, Giannis is a tough matchup for a lot of people. Um has bought into rolling to the rim and posting up switches more now that Sabonis is gone and Halliburton is running the show is only 27. Like I don't like he can kind of grow a little bit with these guys or be the vet as they grow. I I just, I just want to give them some love because they're really, really fun to watch. Number two in pace, only Washington is playing faster than the Pacers and just Halliburton is an elite, elite, elite offensive engine. Like, not just really good, like as an offensive player, all NBA good. He is that good as a passer, a shooter, and a scorer. Getting better every year at beating switches and beating big guys one-on-one instead of just step back threes all the time. Just a really fun team to watch. That trade, I said it at the time. I said it last season, even when the Kings were rolling, and I'll say it again now. You can frame it as a win-win. It is kind of a win-win. What it really is is a win short-term and long-term for Indiana and a win short-term and we'll kind of see about the Kings. I know that they have Fox and blah, 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 but like genius stroke by the Pacers. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, we'll, we'll be talking about that trade for a long time probably. And I think the unfortunate part for the Kings is, and this is not a knock on Deer and Fox who's been fantastic for them and, and won, what was it? The, it's the Jerry West uh, clutch player award, uh, the inaugural version of it. Um, Really great player, but like given ages and track records and, and, and size, frankly, and everything else, like if all things were equal, meaning contracts, that's probably not the trade they would have made. I don't think like I, they made the trade they could make uh, more than than anything else. They, 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 you know, I think they were in a position where they had to break up that backcourt and they Fox was going to be a much harder trade to make. This is the one. That, um, that and, they, this, and by the way. This is not to me about Fox. Fox is awesome. Yeah. I had Fox on he's my all NBA team he's last great. year. Right. He he's a star. And actually, it's been kind of disturbing how bad the Kings look without De'Aaron Fox. Like it's you should be able to function without I know he's the best offensive player on the team and the best player on the team. They have just not been able to create offense at all without him. Just like nothing. People just go under every screen. Sabonis in the post is good, but not good enough to like draw double teams against kind of like-sized guys. It's been like they just got nothing going on without De'Aaron Fox. It's a little bit worrisome. Not a little bit worrisome. It's like semi-worrisome. I thought they were going to slide a little bit this season, um, not necessarily in quality of play, but more just that it was a weird year in the West last year, and I thought just the mere fact that some – a lot or, or multiple teams in the West were in better shape now than last season for any variety of reasons. I thought the Kings might be just as good or better than they were and still slip it just in the standings anyway, because of the quality of, of play around them. Um, I did not see this, but then again, we did, 
we weren't accounting for an early De'Aaron Fox injury holding them back either. Do you think on the Pacers, so all justifiable enthusiasm, exuberance uh, at this stage, and you mentioned, I agree with you on Turner. I agree, like Halliburton, Turner, those are, are kind of your, like, your foundational pieces. When do you start talking about like, do the Pacers start looking for the consolidation trade, right? Some some interesting young pieces and everything. They've, they've always been a fairly conservative organization. Like, they're not a swing for the fences kind of team. They're a small market, everything else. I just wonder what, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves. They're going to, they're a really fun team. And they're really competitive. And I think they're going to be in the playoffs. And we'll see where it goes from there. And it's probably too soon to start talking about what ne- what needs to come next. But I just, I wonder at what point how you get that other, whatever that other element is to really push them forward. Um, but as I say, it's probably too soon for that discussion. I think, I think given their market and the way they've generally operated, I don't, it honestly, that has not even entered my mind. And I need, if I'm them, I need to have a better idea of what Matherin is, who had a great first two months last year and then tailed off and started off horribly this season and now looks like, okay, this is the guy that I want to see, like this yeah. playing with this kind of force. Uh, and Walker. I need I need to see more of what I have already in-house before I make any kind of decisions. And for now, like I'm cool riding the Halliburton wave to wherever it takes me in an Eastern Conference that is, you know, like I think it'll it'll – if Cleveland writes the ship, the Knicks have already started to kind of look a little more, bit more Knicksy. Um, other than that, it's just like everyone's kind of five hundred. It'll it'll normalize a little bit, but I I don't think the Pacers are. I mean, they're third in the East right now. That's not going to last. But I, I don't think they're like going away as a no. You know, somewhere from five to ten team, and just ride that out and have some fun. David Letterman yeah. was at the game no. the other day. Did you see that? Indiana native Dave no, David Letterman sitting courtside at the Pacers game. What a delight that guy would be beard, to sit is, courtside with. Is his beard down to his ankles yet? It's very long. And in fact, I believe it's it's either the scorekeeper or somebody else who works for the Pacers has an incredibly similar beard. And the, the broadcast did a split screen of Letterman and whoever that person was <laughs> for the Pacers. And it was and they both wear little glasses with like little yeah. circular glasses. It was it was great. Um Howard Beck, any parting thoughts? We can read you at the ringer. You wrote a column on James Harden and his legacy. Uh, little L legacy uh, this week. You are, are you officially a real one now? Are you, are, I know you've been on the real ones. Are you a real one or are, are Logan and Raja the real ones? And you're just sort of the like, like <laughs> real one adjacent. I don't know. Are you real? Uh, I'd, I'd like to think so. Um, that's, that's actually a really good question. I, sh- I should probably check with like the ringers HR department to see if that's in the job description or, or how I'm, I'm classified there. I feel like a real one. Uh, Logan does a great job of making me feel like an actual certified real one with him and Raja, but they are the original, they are the OG real ones on that show. Uh, I am on the real ones with Logan and Raja every Monday um, so people can catch me there and, uh, yeah, thank you for the plug on, on the Harden column. Got some other fun stuff in the works. The ringer.com great landing spot. Uh, that's, that's, I'm glad that marriage has worked out. Um, I will see you soon at either Barclays center or Madison square garden. Howard Beck, everybody. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.